Today we have myself, Christian Hyde. I'm a managing director at Risk360, uh, help oversee our privacy practice. And with us, we have privacy expert, Phil Bredney. Phil, mind out a quick intro? Sure, Phil Bredney, also director here at Risk360. Uh, I head up our privacy practice. I'm a fellow of information privacy with the IAPP. Um, glad to be here. Awesome. So there's some, been some interesting developments in the world of privacy that I want to get into, but I think maybe to set the stage here, let, let's talk about where we are when it comes to privacy. Um, you know, I guess as an environment, as a business world, as a culture. Um, so privacy's, I think, for the first time over the last five or ten years, I guess you could say, becoming highly regulated. Everyone's probably very familiar with GDPR, uh, HIPAA, the pretty old one here in the U.S. Uh, California is releasing some legislation. New York is releasing some legislation. Uh, I would argue perhaps none of it is adequate or exactly what we need. Mm -hmm. uh, in tandem with that, we have social media companies harvesting data, a lot of headlines about privacy. We see some social media censorship, I guess you could argue, or them using some license to revoke individuals um, from social media platforms or news platforms, some third parties um, like the parlor thing um, taking away services um, from platforms perhaps because they don't agree with or, or because they have a, a good reason to in fact remove that access. But all of this um, talk of privacy and who's in control of the data, who owns the content is starting to bubble to the surface in way of you could probably ask your parents what they think about privacy. And for the first time, people are starting to think about this. It's really in the public consciousness. And until now, what most regulations and what companies and the stance that most organizations have taken is saying, you know, we're going to notify you when we want to do stuff at best, or we're just going to make a decision and in the fine print tell you that we're doing that but they're not being responsible for your data. They're really taking action and thinking about the consequences later, which is causing some ethical issues, causing some business issues. Regulations are trying to deal with this. So what people are talking about now in the privacy space is if we believe that data is an asset, are organizations responsible as a fiduciary to those assets? And, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Is this a paradigm shift in how we're going to think about privacy and data ownership and stewardship versus how we've thought about it in years past? And, and I think this is like a critical moment for us to start maturing that way of thinking. So can you can you talk a little bit about that, Phil? What is this concept of fiduciary when it comes to data? And how is that different from how organizations are thinking about it today? Sure, I think you hit a lot of key points there. So, um, you know, privacy, especially given the digital space and the pace of change there is really a, a new discipline. And, you know, to date, a lot of it has just been, as you said, notification. So getting companies to put together a good privacy notice. Generally, your regulations have shifted to, you know, a clear, plain English kind of standard for that. Yes, but everyone's talking about the cookie consent or like the privacy <laughs> notice on the website, but that is like the very surface of this problem. But yeah, yeah. Well, not not only 
not only is it new, but just the volume of services that individuals are interacting with. I just read last night, it, it, they say it would take 76 days per year for you to read the privacy policy of every service that you interact with. So that I think the bottom line is that approach with the privacy notice has been important. It's useful. I'm sure it's generated some some good, but there's room for maturity in the privacy space, and that's where this concept of data fiduciary comes in. So just for context, I think previously there was a couple of privacy principles, one of them being in some instances you have to get the individual's consent and and also that which is called consent and the other privacy principles notice. So if you decide to use their data in a certain way, you're supposed to notify them. That's why you get this barrage of emails. We've updated our privacy policy or you know whatever that means. Um, so that has been the stance today. It's really the burdens on you. Say, hey, you're using our service. It's pretty cheap. We're going to do with the data to monetize it, whatever we want to do with it, arguably. And if you're lucky, we might notify you. And if you're really lucky, we might put it in plain English so you can actually understand what we're trying to do. Right, so that's that's the state we're in today. So talk a little bit about the fiduciary mindset. What is, what is that? Mm -hmm. Sure. So the first time I'd actually seen it in print was the New York Privacy Act, which has been proposed this year for a second time. Uh, we're tracking it very closely, but it really boils everything down to the business needs to do what a reasonable consumer would expect with personal data, including the use of third parties, and this should be done with, with primary consideration to the data subject or consumer end user, um, depending on the case, um, and ahead of consideration of the businesses, um, the businesses' interest in that data. Because, uh, like, um, like the way I hear fiduciary used is if you have like a financial advisor or you're giving someone uh, responsibility to invest on your behalf, the automatic assumption is or um, or the thing you want to ask is are you a fiduciary and meaning um, are you loyal to me? Uh, do, do you have my best interest at heart when you're making decisions or is there some other motive? driving you and when it comes to financial this is a very natural thing it's like yes they're always investing in your best best interest they're looking out for you it's your asset so they're entrusted with that asset and now we're thinking about the same thing when it comes to privacy because data is an asset so if you own that asset as an individual your data you're giving that to a business well they're supposed to have your best interest at heart when they're using that data and use it as such and you know, so that shouldn't require that they send you a consent or a notification that they're going to use it in some new way. There should be an, uh, an approach where they're trying to do the right thing. And that comes back to how we're building privacy programs. So we talked, you know, I think the other day about having a privacy mission statement mm -hmm. and privacy core values and objectives that, uh, you know, just like a company would have core values and, and ethics that you would point back to during decision making. Can you what, what's your thoughts there? How is this going to impact the business? Like maybe today I'm thinking about using data anyway. I can monetize it tomorrow. I might be using data, but really thinking about how I want to use that to protect the individual and who's the right person at the individual to do that, you know, or at the company to do that. 
Yeah, exactly. I think in the governance approach for privacy, you're going to see some changes. So we've always talked about the defensible approach, you know, ma making sure companies do their homework and document how they're making decisions about privacy. I think that will take a step up. Um, so GDPR has the principle of the data protection officer, um, which it doesn't quite say in plain language, but is more or less the consumer's advocate within the company. And to date, for companies not strictly required to have a DPO, there's been some flexibility around how they fill that position and manage privacy. But I think really for any company now, considering uh, who's the consumer advocate when it comes to making decisions around privacy and um, you know, taking that position seriously, um, taking the fiduciary model to heart, as you say, around developing a mission statement and your core values around privacy. So really making sure you're fully embedding the consumer and their perspective into all of that. You know, I was trying to think ahead of this podcast, like if I'm an organization, why do I want to move to this model? Because it seems in some ways bad for business. If I'm a big data kind of organization, because you think away, a lot of these tech companies are, are their monetization strategy works today. At least part of it is maybe you run out of a loss for a very long time. You create a great product, you harvest data because you offer the product for free. For example, in social media, and with that data, maybe you're able to do analytics and insights, and you can sell that data. Maybe you can market to individuals or advertise to them, or however you want to use that data. And that is your monetary strategy. And there's new companies every day with apps and everything else that um, start a business with that model in mind. And the fiduciary way of thinking seems very dangerous to that business model. So I think my pitch to those organizations, like how do I how do I accept this business model or this new way of thinking while also you know keeping my business alive? And I think the short answer is. Um, this is getting ahead of it, A, mm -hmm. and uh, and if you're early enough and you're um, thinking about the customer's best interests, then you can adjust your business model early enough to account for what's coming down the pipe. Because I can, I'll bet within the next five years, maybe 10, but I'm thinking maybe next five, we're gonna see some regulations come out, at least at the state and local levels that are going to have this as the test for the legally defensible approach and how that manifests itself for organizations is if if someone brings litigation to you or the or a government state agency wants to audit you the the standard that you'll be held up to is can you evidence to me that you had the data subjects best interest at heart show your homework show me how you did that and that's when you're going to need privacy professionals who understand how to do that in line with business. So doing what's called a privacy impact assessment, doing risk assessments, doing data inventories and building a case for you that says, look, we can we can make this business decision, but here are the confines in which we need to make that business decision. And that's going to be a whole new strategic perspective that doesn't exist today because largely we can get any data we want. That technology is way far out, but we're not thinking about how we can do that and also meet regulatory requirements and uh, do the right thing ethically as well. And also suspect that if you're already navigating HIPAA and GDPR and 
you know, the whole alphabet soup of different regulatory requirements. If you approach it with the fiduciary standard, uh, I'll bet that the rest of those will fall in line. You know, that's the highest standard and you're going to have like a, uh, a one standard that meets them all. If you can meet that standard, then you'll automatically also be GDPR compliant and be HIPAA compliant and everything else uh, by design because you've thought about that. So I think there is some business value in taking this approach because if you're future proofing the business and you're trying to build a privacy program that's going to scale and last and products that have business models that are going to, you know, fall in line here, this is going to be a, a great approach, necessary approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing um, I've been talking a little bit about with our colleague Philip Lee is about self-regulation and privacy. Um, so I'll. I'll be really curious looking at the principle of self-regulation along with this new concept of what companies start to band together and say, hey, we want to be privacy focused, be able to show that and gain consumer confidence that way. So I think particularly if self-regulation comes into play, then you can see business value in that way and just being the privacy-centric alternative. Yeah, so self-regulation, essentially like no government intervention, that the the industry itself is regulating itself. I think that'd be preferred, right? People, at least in the business world, would probably prefer that over a mandate. Um, So so that'd be be nice. I don't have a lot of confidence that that's going to happen. There's too many incentives, arguably. So that's exactly where this comes back to, right? You have someone at the organization it is the consumer's advocate because I don't think it I don't think it's malicious, but most organizations, I don't think, have the vocabulary quite yet to talk about privacy and to talk about the implications to yeah. the end. You know, they're building products, they're solving problems, some of them really good problems and innovative problems, um, but they can also be harmful in many ways to you know, an individual's privacy. So. Mm-hmm when you have an absence of that voice of reason that says, hey, here's a perspective that you need to consider, then automatically, you know, you're making potentially bad decisions. So what do you think we're going to do about that? Like, what's the next wave? How do you get the right people at the table to have the conversations with the engineering team, the strategy folks, the CEOs to say, hey, look, privacy is a concern. You need to think of it in this way. Because I see the same thing in security, right? Like, we're just now getting where there's a chief information security officer and there's still many problems with security so what do you think the path forward to get a privacy person at the table is hmm. I, that's a great question um so one thing that we typically do is we set up a data protection office um, similar to how we run information risk councils with our clients so that's um, the primary governing body with a cross-functional representation um, to look at privacy on an ongoing basis and to really get to this next step. Um, I'd go back to what we talked about earlier, setting a mission statement, core values, and really thinking about are, are we prepared for this approach to privacy? Is this something we believe in? You know, you, you can have a regulation about something, but you might not believe in it, but um, to your point, there should be value in actually adopting it, internalizing it, and making it forefront for your company. So I, yeah. I think I think taking that governance approach, but making sure you have 
you have a well well defined well defined leader for privacy and defining what your strategy should be. Yeah, I mean, I think for most of our clients, I can genuinely say they want to do the right thing. Like they, they might not have had the time or the vocabulary to think about this problem in a certain way, but they want to do the right thing. But the way this manifests itself for most of our clients that I'm working with is they're overburdened with regulations, mm -hmm. HIPAA, GDPR, you name it, there's a lot of them. And they want to naturally handle those in a whack-a-mole approach. So GDPR lives in this silo, HIPAA lives in this silo, California Privacy Rights Act over here. They come up at different times for different reasons, but they just want to know it's handled. And what they don't necessarily see is that there's a Venn diagram here. All these privacy regulations are overlap in many ways. And yep. if you can bring an approach to the table that harmonizes all of those different regulations, you can gain a lot of efficiency and a lot of business value. So, so in my mind, this is where this fiduciary thing could be a game changer. Because if I have to comply with all of that anyway, and privacy is part of what I need to do as a business model, I can take the highest standard and develop a privacy program that what falls out is compliance with all of these other regulations. And that's exactly where that governance structure that you're talking about comes in, because you got to get the right leaders at the table to make those decisions. So in security, we call it an information risk council. In privacy, we also, uh, often call it a data protection office. You can call it whatever you want. But you get the right people at the table on a periodic basis with the right data points in front of them ready to make decisions so they can govern those programs, roll out policies, decide, make product um, development, R&D decisions, understand what regulations they need to comply with. But it just feels like doing business. Mm -hmm. you know, you're with all these requirements, but if you do it right, you're escalating it to leaders or they're just doing business and compliance falls out of it. And I like that fiduciary standard because I feel like that's as a weapon or a tool that compliance folks like me and you can bring to the table and say, this is the way we need to be thinking about it. But out of that, it's going to follow your compliance requirements. And by the way, it's going to be a lot more efficient for your business than whack a mole and all these different regulations. So that's how I'm hoping to help use this. But also, back in my mind, it's the ethical thing to do, it's the right thing to do, it's future proof in the business, it's scalable, it's all the things you want to bring business value in a compliance conversation. So, yeah. so how far off are you think do you think we are from regulation that kind of uses this term? I know New York's already using some of it. Where do you think we're at with that? Hmm. Yeah, as far as New York, you know, it's it's been proposed. It's working its way through their legislative process. I don't have a good feel for how how long it might be. Um, but I I think you know, there's always the copycat effect. So other jurisdictions looking at this say, hey, it's the right thing. But to the more broader point, as we're talking about just what an evolution of privacy looks like, you know, GDPR was the first wave, set a lot of principles, but I think some of the larger organizations and market leaders are really starting to really think about getting to this standard already the data fiduciary standard and what that will look like so i think new york's the one specific piece but more broadly i think it's just where the market's headed yeah what do you think so one thing i'm thinking about is there's a little bit of a shortage of privacy professionals out there 
Um, this is a new phenomenon. People are getting up to speed. There's not a lot of privacy experts relative to market need. Um, and also privacy today, I feel like it's largely driven by regulatory requirements. So you have attorneys or compliance experts that are brought in to solve a regulatory problem, not an ethical problem, not a business model problem, not a strategic problem, but no, I have a compliance need. I need to understand that need. I need to get through it. What do you think? Do you have any sense for what is it going to take to, to elevate the, the current batch of privacy professionals to the next step where they're helping make strategic decisions? Um, not just being at the table, but like a mindset or a skill set gap. Do you have any sense for, for where we're at there? Hmm. That's a hard one. It's another really good question. Yeah, um, because I think you know, always one thing that I feel is that underlooked in privacy is, especially in the field we're in, is you know, security and IT. So really being able to understand the system. Now you're talking about bringing in really a solid business understanding. How do you make the business case to the stakeholders, explain why they should do this that might harm harm their business in the short term. Um, so I, I think I think for privacy professionals, um, that's probably going to be an additional challenge. But the more you the more you sit at the table, the more you learn. Okay. So but pushing in that direction, just seeing how the organization is making decisions um, will go a long way. Yeah, you know, part of the conversations that we always have is uh, when it comes to security or privacy, this isn't a security and privacy problem. This is an organizational change problem. Like you have to educate the right individuals. You have to have the right communication plan. You have to disseminate information appropriately. You have to be able to tie these security and compliance problems back to business problems so people care about them and give them the time that they deserve. So part of me wonders if if this is a, a vocabulary problem. Like we got to give the strategic decision makers, you know, the product owners, the innovative CEOs, the folks out there building companies, a way of thinking where privacy is at least part of the puzzle for them. You know what I mean? This is like a, almost a cultural thing that we have to do. Maybe it's an education system. Maybe it's part of business training. I mean, we have ethics when, when it comes to a business school. So maybe privacy needs to become a bigger and bigger part of that. So people have the the brain to think about it. They have the words to use to articulate the feelings they have about wanting to be private into the products that they're building. Because right now it's just so attractive to build a free app that harvests data or to build a company and monetize on the back end with data. And um, I can say a few years ago, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been malicious, but I, I would have been okay with building a product perhaps that used data in a way that today I have a more mature understanding of. And that's because I have new vocabulary to talk about it. So I, I don't know, like, is this like an elementary school thing? You've got to educate folks. you got to help them understand the value of privacy because it is a core tenant of life. You need it, at least in my opinion. Um, but getting those strategic decision makers is something I've been thinking about. Like for us, when we're at clients and we're educating individuals on this regulation or that regulation, or we're doing an orientation session, maybe part of that needs to say, hey, look, this is what's going on in the privacy world. And here's the vocabulary and the discussions that are being having, because it's interesting. Like security is a little bit ethereal. Um, you think of big companies having a security breach more so than anything, whereas privacy is very real. It sits with you 
it's like your privacy is how your data is being used you can look at any app on your phone and see how they're using it you know um, yeah. i think it unlike security i think privacy has the opportunity to be on the forefront of people's mind because it's so personal which is a very unique thing in, in the compliance universe you know most of the stuff's off yeah. that suit it lives in the tax code or some regulation but privacy is very personal which is which makes interesting and fun to work with absolutely yeah i i think i think you're on to it just educating educating people and building out the vocabulary around how we discuss it um that that'll be a key piece to really bring all this to bear yeah i, I do want to talk about a few things that we've seen i think it's interesting just to we're, we're very fortunate. I almost think that we take it for granted sometimes just how much we get to see when it comes to privacy, what companies are doing. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about maybe spend five minutes on this Phil. Is like apps. How are apps using your data um, on, on the phone? Um, automated decision making when it comes to finance and lending, like some of those cool use cases. Do you mind just throwing out like one or two? I, I'd love to get those out there and say, hey, look, folks, this this make this is in your life and it makes a difference. You need to know about it. So maybe like just starting with the phone, can you just rattle off like how is this being used? Yeah. Um, so one thing that's been getting a, a good bit of play is WhatsApp. I think they made a change to their privacy policy that really threw up a lot of red flags for consumers. Um, Really, anything. I I think we're so used to giving apps access to our entire contact list without much of an understanding of how that's actually being used. Um, so, you know, it's one thing to go into an app and say, "Okay, I'll give you access to my contacts. I want to connect with them real quickly." It's another if the company is then turning around and skimming all that data do, doing something different with that um yeah so i think I mean, that's, that's one thing fiduciary, right mm -hmm. it's like do you have the do you have phil brodney's best interest at heart okay i'm using a running app i'm going to spin it up and ask for everything on my phone it's like well maybe you need my gps maybe you need some geolocation so you can track my runs but do you really need my access to my email i'm not saying they're doing that but like that'd be an example yeah. But if you can have it, have it as a fiduciary, you're like, you don't need that access cell phone app. Like, there's no reason to have that. You have my best interest at heart. Yeah. yeah. I, I do think that the way apps have to present the data they're getting access to helps consumers gain more awareness of how data is being used. You know, microphone is a big thing. Um, I, I'm sure we've all experienced uh, Instagram and Facebook always seem to be listening you get all kinds of ads based on stuff that it seems your phone has heard you talk about yeah. um, so I, I think consumers are gaining a lot more awareness there yeah it was my daughter's seventh uh birthday a while back and uh i've been getting a bunch of amazon uh like recommendations for like a balloon <laughs> party stuff for seven-year-olds not just birthday stuff but for seven-year-olds and i'm like there's no way like, how do you know this? I haven't bought anything. Yeah. It's weird. So yeah. stuff like you gotta wonder. Um, the the other thing that I'm always thinking of in the apps is people aren't aware of just how much they they collect, like accelerometer. So they know if you're in your car or if you're stopped. Mm -hmm. 
elevation barometer information they know where you are you can look at your map data and you can look at this is on iPhones and most smartphones and if you look at that map it's pretty obvious where you live and where you work because you go a lot of other places a little bit but you're there's a huge red dot at home and at work so they can collect really information uh, interesting information also who your best friend is maybe you guys meet up and do a run every every day maybe you know whatever you, you can make some really interesting uh, assumptions about an individual based on where they shop, their buying habits, do they exercise, where do they live, and and that information combined with a lot of other data can be used to violate your privacy in one one form or another. So you you've always, I've always heard the the phrase that if something's free, you are the product. <laughs> that's very true. Bit of cynicism that's fallen out of this whole privacy situation that's important. Apple just made an update, I think, to like 14.4 that's going to empower the user to deny more and more of those services or more customization, which you ask yourself, why now? Uh, why not two years ago? But it's good that they're doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of changes. Um, so that, that's kind of apps. The other thing um, that we've run into is automated decision making, which is big in GDPR, but not touched anywhere else, really. Like, uh, yeah. I get a bit frustrated when I hear privacy professionals like really pound on like cookie consent and uh, like do you have a privacy policy on your website? Because for me, that's that's like the surface. That's the some of the least valuable stuff. While important, it's not like where the meat is. The stuff that really matters. Mm -hmm. And what really matters is how people are using this data, like we just talked about, and automated decision making. So can you yeah. talk a little bit about that, Phil? Like, what is automated decision making? Have you seen it out in the wild? Yeah, so automated decision making usually tracks closely with profiling, but it's really any time that a computer is piecing together um, multiple pieces of information to try to make a decision about you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it particularly when data is coming in from multiple sources, these machines can make some very interesting decisions about you as far as what ads you're served. Uh, we certainly see it out out in the field for um, credit and underwriting decisions. And really, when you think about the data that's coming together to make that decision, it, it can be pretty eye-opening for an individual. One thing that's crazy to me about the future is um, there's this phenomenon of automated decision making. We've seen it in comment moderation and social media, um, which is good, arguably, because there's no way you have enough humans in the world to do this because so much content is generated. You see it in the lending space. So, like, are you approved for a loan or not approved for credit? So a lot of that's automated or semi-automated. Um, but where we're bubbling up to is some of these algorithms are making decisions themselves or they're adjusting the algorithm themselves so for example you you if you're uh, strictly data and you're looking at credit decisioning well maybe you have to be very careful about that because you might inadvertently discriminate against a certain group so those manual activities have to be overwritten have to be underwritten by humans and over and we've seen that in the field yep. which is a really interesting use case in automated decision making and i just wonder where this is going because we're talking about the fiduciary model where you have to have the person's best interest at heart. And then we compound that with machine learning and artificial intelligence and the use of algorithms and automated decision making to do this. 
and can you can you ask an algorithm to have an individual's best interest at heart? And can an engineer even program an algorithm to do that? Because I've read recently that like the YouTube algorithms and some of the Google search that there's no group of engineers that really even understand the entirety of how that works because you know turnover has been developed over 20 yeah. years plus machine learning it's starting to make its own stuff so you know that's that's a really weird sci-fi way to look at this is like can we even take our privacy back at that level or do you have to start over mm -hmm. so i don't know there's no answer there for me but it's an interesting exercise i'm gonna end it yeah. at that <laughs> Yeah. Well, thanks for uh, joining, man. This is an awesome conversation. I know there's a lot more to come. Like everybody cares about privacy. This is an awesome place to be. So thanks for uh, lending your expertise. Thanks, Christian. Enjoyed it.